Pippin. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We Before we uh, get into this episode, I want to thank Luther for coming on down to our studio to have a little one-on... I guess it's not a one-on-one chat, but a... No, because I'm here too. One, a one-on-one-on-one chat. Yeah, that works. Luther, is great having you on, um, and we uh, look forward to maybe having you on at some point in the future that's true and check out the indie dev lounge episode if you want to know what we talked about Mm -hmm. spoiler alert it was his game yes ambition a minuet in power all right so without further ado what have you uh, you've been uh what you've been playing recently seth recently i have been playing doom eternal the ancient gods yeah is this when you fight cthulhu no you do you have to try to resurrect a god but yeah so doom eternal the ancient gods is uh the dlc follow-up to doom eternal uh as the name implies uh part one was released in 2020 part two was released just this year in 2021 um i have the season pass so i have both parts it's more of the same of doom Doom eternal where you play as the doom slayer uh back to your old antics of killing demons uh the plot is so it follows up directly from the plot of doom eternal um where you just finished killing this creature called the con maker and now you are tasked with resurrecting something called the father who is the primordial creator of all life and doom guy decides to resurrect a big demon instead because he does what he does but the kind of cool thing with the ancient gods is your character is fully leveled up so when id software was working on this game they wanted to make the game feel like the logical progression of the end of the last game of of doom eternal so they wanted your guy to feel stronger like that you've never lost any of the power-ups that you had from the game so you are fully leveled up that being said enemies are a lot stronger they take a lot more hits to kill and there's a lot more of them even on the easier settings um you know you still can get overrun pretty fast and there are these enemies from doom eternal that are back in this game and they pack a wallop of a punch when it comes to fighting you so it's it's a harder mission to play through but i'm enjoying it so far i've only played about an hour or so of it i i picked it up fairly recently but uh yeah that's what i've been playing nice that's aren't you always playing either doom or sonic it's like Doom or Sonic are the two things that exist uh, as a cotangent universe of my existence. That's right. It's the only it's content like the yang, I consume. The, the yin and yang yeah, of if, you. If I'm not playing a child-friendly game of running around as a blue hedgehog, I'm playing a game where I rip demons' spines out of their back. <laughs> have you have you ever modded Sonic into Doom? There is a mod of Sonic Mania that you can just play Doom. Oh. Uh, so it's a, a mod of Sonic Mania, and when you start Sonic Mania, there's a new option available that's called doom mode and if you click that it just launches doom isn't there a law of doom where doom has to be available on everything doom does run on pretty much everything so it does run in sonic mania that's a someone got it to do that so what about modding doom guy to be in sonic oh 
Maybe. There is a Doom mod that, like, turns the game into Sonic. Sonic Robo Blast 2. We talked about it in our mods episode. Oh, yeah, that's... I, 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 I vaguely remember that. So, uh, recently, I have been playing... Oh, yes, do tell me. Evil Genius 2, which is the sequel to Evil Genius. This one was developed and published by Rebellion, which is uh, the Rebellion of the people that are primarily behind the Sniper Elite games. Mm-hmm. They also blew up the Death Star. They did. The Rebellion did also blow up the Death Star. Originally, Evil Genius was done by Vivendi Games. And, you know, game companies, they go defunct and their intellectual properties kind of get um, tossed about. And Rebellion ended up becoming the latest intellectual property holder with Evil Genius. And they decided to do something with it. And that was make the sequel as they had the right to. So Evil Genius 2 really is like Evil Genius 1, but modern. And it's amazing. I've played a few hours of it already. And the tutorial is still going on after playing for a few hours. So there's a lot going on in this game. I think I'm on hour three and I'm still getting through towards the end. I think I'm towards the end of the tutorial before they let me actually play the game fully. So if you're looking for the pres- like the premise of Evil Genius, you play as an evil genius. You play as essentially like Goldfinger or like a very archetypal Bond villain. There are uh, four evil geniuses that you can play as. You can play as a former spy master by the name of Emma, a scientist that goes by the name of Zalika. You can play as, of course, a gold-obsessed maniac named Maximilian, who's a globalist industrialist. He's like, when you when you like look up anything about Evil Genius 2, he, it's like his face. He's kind of like the poster child for the game. You can also play as Red Ivan, who was, in the first game, a henchman for, I think, all of them? Maybe just Maximilian. I'm not sure. Max Maximilian and Red Ivan are two people from the first game that are in the second game. But Red Ivan was a henchman, and Maximilian obviously was uh, another evil genius. So they did get. There were three evil geniuses in the first game. There was like a like a like a evil Chinese warlord type character and like a Cruella Deville type character. Um, both of them are gone, and they're replaced with these four. And I I like apparently each four have their own story, which is unique. So they have their own story and their own objectives. And I believe they get their own bases. I've only played through. Uh, it's my first time playing through, so I'm just going to play through as Maximilian because he is, like, what I think of Evil Genius, I think of Maximilian. He's, he's like, a short guy who's, like, got little stubby legs and walks around and uh, will shoot minions if they're not doing their work. Anyway, so you play as one of those people and you get a base and you build out the base using minions. And it's very, it's a, it's kind of like uh, Dungeon Keeper or also kind of, it's also kind of like Evil Genius where you build a, you build a base, plot out the base using blueprints and your minions perform the function. So you don't actually control the construction of the base. Uh, you well, you do control it, but you don't actually do it yourself. So like you just block it out. You say, I want the training room to be here. I want to put these items in here. And then you say, go, and your minions will go and construct it. And then you make money by sending your minions into different places around the world. And they create schemes where uh, they send you money back as they scheme. So you may, there may be like a a scheme that's worth $20,000 over the course of 30 minutes. And they'll send you that $20,000 piecemeal. And you have a vault and you have to keep that money sealed and secured in the vault because there'll be like, 
like agents of the government or the various governments throughout the world who are trying to uh, stop you because you're an evil genius. And you can have like a casino in the front end of your house so that people, tourists who come to your island, go to the casino and you can distract agents and people throughout the casino. And it's just a really, it's a fun little strategy game that I really enjoy playing and have been playing a lot of it and I'll probably play a lot more of it. Nice. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. Well, this is a very special episode. It is. We're, uh, we're going to be talking about the Apple Pippin. Yes, this is the first time we've really talked about an Apple product. That's true. It, it is the like the first time we're talking about an Apple product, and it is a good one. It is. Now, the Apple Pippin should not be confused with the Pippin Apple, which was originally cultivated in Newtown, New York, around in the 17th to 18th century. The Pippin Apple is, in fact, still cultivated today and is primarily used for apple cider, which it's specifically sparkling cider of the Martinelli brand, which is a popular cider brand that you may um may know of uh the apple the pippin apple is uh green and okay 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 we gotta stop this bit (laughs) sorry i was i I thought we were an apple podcast no 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 well well we are on apple podcast we are on apple podcasts this podcast about an apple product the product is the pippin anyway i want to do a podcast about apples the classic gaming apples so for those who might not know apple was found the apple the company not the food not the not the not the fruit was founded in 1976 by steve Jobs, steve wozniak and ronald wayne uh and the apple computer company got its start at steve jobs's parents house in Los Altos, California. Since the early days of the Apple One and the later and widely successful Apple II, which you have, which I have, I have an Apple IIe, Apple really cemented its name in the home computer market. And the company is probably most remembered for one of its best brands being the Macintosh. That's right. A product by Apple. A product not, by Apple. Not to be confused by with the Macintosh Apple. So the first Macintosh launched... Um, I, oh, actually... You didn't even laugh at that. <laughs> it was very funny. The first Macintosh computer came out in 1984. In fact, it was kind of famous when it came out because of a Super Bowl ad that was based on 1984, oh, yeah. like the book, yes. and yeah. uh, was directed by Ridley Scott. Yes, and in fact, cons- they had skinheads in the ad so i as an advertiser by trade i'm i'm very interested in advertising the 1984 ad that apple did is is an iconic piece of advertising that almost actually didn't come to fruition multiple times. Notice I said fruition. That's an Apple joke. It didn't come to fruition multiple times because of disconnect between the advertising agency and Apple and Steve Jobs himself. So there was this huge runabout where it almost didn't go to market. Yeah. And so when they were filming it, they were, you know, they were looking for a specific looking person and they found those specific looking people. They just happened to be skinheads. So a little piece of advertising trivia for you to tell, impress all of your friends at, I I don't know, the bar. Anyway, the Macintosh came out in 1984. And even though it's probably widely remembered as like this great computer and it was unique for the time, it actually didn't do very well. It actually sold rather poorly in its first year. And it lost in sales specifically to the IBM PC, which came out around the same time. 
the IBM PC was not as flashy as the Apple, but it was a lot more capable of doing things. What ended up happening, just to give you guys a little explanation on where we got to, how do we get to the Pippin, is that the company reorganized. And during the reorganization process, they actually put Steve Jobs in charge of a new team. However, this team had zero power, essentially. And Steve Jobs was a smart guy, so we kind of realized this was happening. He basically tried to get the board to fire John Scully, who was the uh, current uh, CEO of Apple at the time. They found out about this and they weren't a big fan. (laughs) So Steve Jobs left and he actually went on to create a company called Next Computers and Next Computers were used to actually um, essentially bring about the advent of Pixar. But um, Which is why Steve Jobs has a big connection with Pixar. That's right. But while Steve Jobs was gone, Apple was still doing things. Um, In fact, Apple needed to do things so they can stay afloat. And they were coming up with new products, including something called the Newton, which everyone remembers from that classic Simpsons sketch where Nelson writes uh, beat up Martin because uh, uh, the Newton had text recognition. So you can you can write on the Newton using a stylus and it would take your handwriting and turn it into text. And Nelson in this classic Simpsons sketch writes beat up Martin and it translates it to eat up Martha, which ah. is classic Newton. But anyway, um, the other item that they worked on was the Pippin. In uh, 1993, the Japanese company Bandai wanted to create a video game version of the Macintosh computer to play CD-ROM-based games. Bandai approached Apple in 1994, and the idea was that the system was going to run off of the Macintosh Classic 2 system. That was the original concept. Um, And the idea that Bandai had was that Apple would create the logic board and Bandai would provide the casing and the package design. Bandai specifically wanted to market the Pippin as a games console, not as a computer. And as such, most of the software that was designed for the Pippin were specifically games and edutainment software, which was educational entertainment. So like learning games, like your Mario. Like Oregon Trail. Like Oregon Trail. Which you can play on your Apple II. Which I can't play on my Apple II. Probably runs better than it would on a Pippin. Apple and Bandai also decided that they're going to make the system be able to connect to the internet, which is kind of the new innovation of the 1990s. I mean, the internet was this kind of new hot thing, um, and there weren't really video game systems that could do the internet. There were video game systems that could go on the network. I mean, some systems came with modems, but none, it wasn't built into the system, and that was the idea for this Pippin. So Apple decided that they were going to implement what was called Geoport, which was a serial data technology that allowed the machine to connect to a variety of modems and also communicate with a variety of ISPs. Because your motherboard would essentially be like mapped to the different ports Mm -hmm. and certain technologies were mapped to certain serials as well. So like you would have a printer serial port and you could only put printers on it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like my, well, like for example, my Apple II has a parallel port for the printer attachment that I don't have a printer. Actually, I do have a printer. <laughs> and also has a RS-232 serial port where I could connect a modem to it. I can't do, I can't put one to the other. Right, which is, I think it's, it's kind of cool as now we get to more of a ubiquitous like USB-C type situation where you could plug in almost anything yeah. into your USB-C and in your the software of the computer is really dependent on figuring out what it is where with serial ports the hardware was kind of dependent on trying to figure it out and it was kind of rooted into the computer what these ports did and you had to manually like hack the ports if you wanted them to do something else at that port 
I think that serial ports are kind of neat that way. Now, the Pippin itself was a pretty hefty device. It, it kind of looked like a kind of like a heavy set PlayStation. A little like a little a little thicker and and it didn't it it slid out because instead of having the PlayStation where the top pulled up so that you could put the CD-ROM in, the CD-ROM for the Pippin would slide out like a traditional like optical drive on a computer, which honestly not a great space situation going on where if they did something like the PlayStation, they could have probably made it a little more slimmer. It also ran based on the PowerPC platform, which was designed by IBM and Apple, and it ran a Mac Opera OS 7. This actually shows up when you play the games. <laughs> when you boot the game, you can actually see the Mac OS 7 flash briefly before the game actually starts. Now, the Pippin's architecture was pretty robust, and it supported ISPs like Prodigy, American Online, and eWorld, which were the ways that you would get to the internet in the 90s. And it also had PCI-compatible peripherals because Apple assumed that there would be additions to the Apple Pippin. So they made it so that it could be expanded upon. So it could add peripherals so that you could possibly put an Ethernet or another card into it and plug it in. Maybe if we'll, we'll find out <laughs> if that came. Yeah, to if true. it was widely successful, you might want to update it to have Ethernet. So the fun fact about it running on Mac OS, Mac OS Seven, was that it didn't come with Mac OS Seven. In fact, the device doesn't have an operating system at all on it by itself. Standalone, you can't boot it to do anything. You need to have a piece of software to boot the OS. So the operating system for the Pippin is actually stored on the software that gets released. So the, each game had the operating system on it. So you could, in theory, have a, an updated operating system, a different version of an operating system. Yeah. Like be 7.1 and 7.2 on two different games. And when you boot into the older, op you would load the older operating system because the Pippin didn't have it. I just think it's, a, it's such a wild concept because imagine like computers doing that where like if you turned on your computer, nothing would happen. But if you put in your copy of Half-Life 2, it would load Windows and then it would play yeah. Half-Life 2. <laughs> right. It was what the Pippin was doing. It was essentially loading an operating system and then starting a game. And now it is odd because it doesn't have an operating system. So the system by itself is kind of useless, really. Without an operating system, you can't really do anything with it. There's no UI to go in. There's no operating system. There's nothing you can do with it. But it allowed Apple to upgrade the operating system without actually having to upgrade the hardware so they could roll out updates through software releases it, it's 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 wild watching of like some captured video of somebody starting a game and seeing the flash of an operating system before it looks like they're playing an emulator but in fact they're i mean i guess they are at the end of the day they they're playing some like a macintosh emulator but it was a the the thing that kills me is that this is a product that went to retail like this is a factory product and you essentially are shipping a emulator i in my opinion now the controller for the apple pippin was aptly named the applejack because why not and it came wired and wireless in 1996 which is very unique because not many systems 
had wireless controllers in 1996 and used uh, infrared technology to connect it to the console. So, we're, you know, Bluetooth's not around. So just I'm guessing like the same technology you use to turn on your TV. The controller itself looks like a small plastic boomerang. On the left, the it had a circle directional pad. And on the right, it had four colorful buttons of like red, yellow, blue, green you know the ones that you traditionally see and in the center was a trackball like an upside down mouse and you were in fact required to use the trackball in the menus of the different games since the games were primarily direct ports from the mac computers so apple in order to put games onto this they ported their entire operating system with the game onto a cd and shipped it to you and said there's your finished product which honestly is just lazy <laughs> now the pippin had built-in storage as well though there was no operating system on the storage as we said the storage had uh had 128 kilobytes of storage which was primarily used to save uh settings and game progresses an interesting thing about the apple pippin was that the console was not region specific and was in fact compatible with both uh, pal and ntsc uh, which are the different television technologies that were present at this time mm -hmm. Uh, it, in fact, even had a VGA port on it. So you could plug the machine into any television or even a computer monitor and you could use it. Any television. You could be in Japan. You could be you could be in England and you could take your Apple Pippin and you could plug it into their television and it would work. You could also play their games since the it wasn't region locked for their games release. So if somebody had a Japanese Pippin game and you were in the UK... You could take that Japanese game and you could play it on a UK television, which was unique for the time. Was it a useful feature? Well, probably not, but it was still unique. Now, let's talk about the games. There were not a lot of games released on it. So the Pippin did have a feature. I guess it would be called a feature. You could adjust the graphics quality of the game, the manufactured video game system. You could adjust the graphics on for the game's they released for it to be either better graphics or smoother and better frames. But there weren't any guardrails on this. So, for example, Marathon was released for the Pippin. Marathon is a first-person shooter that was made by Bungie, yes. who would go later on to make games such as Halo, which is a popular game. Marathon was released for the, the Pippin. I imagine a port. So Marathon was originally released on the Mac, and... It was comparable to Doom at the time, so Doom wasn't available for Macintosh. And Marathon was the Mac Doom. And it was a fast first-person shooter um, that was comparable to, to right. Doom. So you would expect if they released it for the Pippin, they would optimize it for the Pippin. You would be wrong. <laughs> of course. In fact, you could adjust the Marathon so that it had really good graphics, but this would make the frames per seconds go down to about 10 to 15 frames per second, which... If you've ever played a video game, that's pretty not playable, especially for a first-person shooter. Yeah, it's like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> 10 to 15 frames per second for Marathon. Now, you could adjust it for performance. So you could make it so that it's m smoother and the graphics quality goes down. In fact, you could make it so poor that you couldn't see anything. And so then the game wouldn't be playable on the other end. It would be smooth. Or, well, the frames would be 
better, but you wouldn't be able to see what was going on. There was a, a hodgepodge middle where you could play the game and it would run okay, but it wasn't a great experience. It was an experience. That was it. Yeah. It was just it. If 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 you could say Apple Pippin could have a popular game on it, it would probably be Power Rangers Zeo. And that I'm saying it's a Power Rangers Zeo game can elude you already to how the Pippin did when it came to sales and support. Power Rangers Zeo was a, an action platformer where you play as the Power Rangers. Yes. It is bad. Yes. Zach and I actually watched some videos of the Power Rangers Zeo games. Uh, when we... Actually, it was a while ago, and the the poor the like horribleness of the game still resides within my my brain. This time away, it was probably the most hilarious thing I have ever watched in terms of bad video games. I've played some bad video games in my time. I've played Superman sixty four, E T. I played Big Rigs Over the Road Racing. I played Sonic O six. But then there's Power Rangers Zio, and this is garbage. <laughs> It looks like a Flash game that someone didn't finish. It's clunky. It's poorly optimized. There are graphical errors happening during the game that you are playing. Like the Power Rangers legs will tweak at like twitch out or like they'll distort out. And this is this is like the game. So this is like the top. This is the best game that they had or the most popular game that they had. I guess the diff- I guess good games. I guess the best game doesn't have to always be the pop- most popular game. But if for all intents purposes, if Apple Pippin could have a game it was this one and it was bad so apple announced the pippin in tokyo on december 13th 1994 as well as the partnership they were doing with bandai apple's idea was they were going to license the pippin technology to third-party companies with bandai being the first bandai developed um, two different type of pippin models the at mark models and the at world models spelled as um, the at symbol the w-o-r-l-d it's because that's 90s cool yes it was i mean the internet was coming around so you had to allude to inter- internet lingo somehow in 1996 the white colored pippin at mark went on sale in japan for 64,800 yen which by at least today's conversion is about $585. I'm not exactly sure on the... Oh, with price of her inflation? Yeah, but that's just... It's probably like a thousand bucks. Yeah, it was expensive. Bandai predicted that the system would sell 200,000 in its first 12 months. The Black at World model went on sale in the U.S. in June of 1996 at the price of $599, which Bandai hoped would sell... 200,000 in its first 12 months in Japan and an additional 300,000 units in the United States. So they are predicting that 200,000 units would sell of the Atmark product and over 500,000 would sell total of the Atworld product. We're going to talk about how many actually sold later. I'll give you a hint. They are off in their numbers. I mean, it's not, they're not unrealistic numbers. No, that was, that's probably for the time be- period and for what they were selling, they were probably basing it off of pre-existing sales models for similar video game systems that were out at the time. I mean, this would have been around the time period that we saw Sony and Sega and uh, the 3DO and uh, even Philips in the market. So just so everyone keep those numbers in your mind as we get through this episode and we will um, 
We'll see how well they did because they are they are realistic. And for a full year of sales, that's a realistic expectation. We because you have other systems doing those type of numbers in days. So the market's it's the market's ready for the Pippin. Yeah. So we had so we had the Pippin at Mark. We had the Pippin at World, and there was another Pippin device that was sold in Europe and in Canada, made by a Norwegian company called Cats, and they created the Cats Media Player 2000, which has the catchiest name of all time. That's the when I want to buy a, a product, I want to buy the Cats Media Player 2000, please. So the Cats Media Player 2000 is actually never really sold as a product it was actually sold to stores and to shopping centers to be used as an interactive kiosk device because that makes sense right it's a system that has a controller on it that was capable of playing cd based games you just made software that worked for the kiosks that you were building pop it in there you go right off the bat you got a kiosk machine pretty cool apple didn't actually market the pippin like at all (laughs) but that was the plan this wasn't like apple deciding they were just going to ignore the system their plan was they weren't going to market the system it was the job of the licensees to market the system so if you were licensing out the pippin it was your job to make sure it sold now the pippin was incredibly unpopular (laughs) let's just get that out of the way in 1997 bandai canceled production during their merger uh, that they were planning to do with Sega, which didn't go through, so they had to backpedal quickly to try to get the Pippin sold again after they had already canceled production on them. Isn't that great? So Bandai's like, we're not going to support this anymore. We're just going to merge with Sega. And then the deal's like, oh no, that's not happening. So then Bandai's like, well, I guess we got to sell these Pippins. <laughs> <Yeah. that> we- <laughs> we're going to just smush away in a merger. So Bandai decided that they're going to quickly attempt to rebrand the Pippin as a set-top box, that that ultimately failed as well. The Pippin was released in a really competitive market. I mean, I just mentioned a couple of the names that were on the market. Sega Saturn, Sony PlayStation, and if you wanted to play good video games, there were plenty of Windows-based PCs that you could purchase for not massive prices. I mean, computers have always been more expensive than consoles, but you got more with a computer than you would have with a Pippin. Also, the Pippin was $599 in the 1990s, which is a lot of money in today's money. That's almost that's almost $1,000. So you're paying almost $1,000 for a device. Didn't even have an operating system on it. Yeah, you're paying like $1,000 for almost a computer. Yes. When you could just probably pay like $1,200 for a computer. So things were not going well for the Pippin. It was really destined to fail. But really the thing that put the nail in the imaginary coffin that is the Pippin's existence was the return of the prodigal son, Steve Jobs. So in 1997, Apple asked Steve Jobs to come back because they needed help because they were doing very badly with everything. And Steve Jobs historically had done good things for Apple. Jobs came back and when he came back, he actually made the executive decision to cease production on all Macintosh clone efforts, including the Apple Pippin. Uh, he also canceled things like the Newton because <laughs> that was doing badly as well. With Apple no longer planning to produce the Pippin platform, this affected all parties. It trickled down onto all parties. Bandai then had to cease production, and they did so in mid-1997. Cats Media, however, did send out a PR letter with a promise that they would continue supporting the Pippin, but they did file for bankruptcy in the next year, <laughs> so they did not. So their support was short-lived. <laughs> yes. 
You know what we say? It's the thought that counts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Cats Media. We'll get you there to 1998. Yes. Remaining inventory for the Pippin were purchased by a company called Daystar Digital in 1998. And then it was Daystar's job to sell additional units. Apparently, they didn't sell more than like 1,000 or 2,000. So Yeah. Remember, the product was released in 1996. Yes. So from 96 to 97 was its life cycle. Fun fact, Journeyman... Pegasus Prime was actually slated to be released for the Pippin, but it wasn't. So we can, uh, we'll do the numbers. Do, 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 do. The Pippin did badly. It is expected to have sold around 42,000 units in its units in the year, or, well, it's, or its entire life, I guess it's to be said. Once again, let's go back over those numbers. Bandai anticipated nearly 500,000 in sales from Atmark and Atworld units alone. The Pippin sold 42,000 units. Wow. So they missed their mark a little bit when it came to feeling out what their projected sales were. The N64 console that also launched in 1996 sold 350 to 500,000 units in just the first three days. Oh, no. So it, it feels like another company who did very poorly with selling a device similar to this. And that re- it just reminds me of the Philips CDI. <laughs> it really does. Though I think the Philips sold better than the Pippin. <laughs> I think I think the Pippin is the worst selling console from every console that we've talked about since we started. Mm, yes. It may not be the worst selling console, but we'll we'll get there. There were some hiccups to the overall intended market for the Pippin as consumers may they did not understand that the device was capable of accessing accessing the internet and even amongst internet users the device wasn't a hot seller. Uh, the device only outputted composite video, which meant that text was fairly hard to read on a standard television set, which would have made it hard to even use the internet. And they just had over 80 games total, meaning worldwide they had 80 games produced. The U.S. version only saw 18 games released. So the different ver- different regions, they may not the the system may not have been region locked, but they didn't sell certain games in certain countries. So unless you were importing games to play on your Pippin, which is a pain now and must have been even doubly a pain back in 1996, there's just not a lot of content out there. And with only being in production for a year, there just there just wasn't anything there for the consumer. Also, let's talk about the price. This device was a multi-use product. You could access the internet, you could play video games on it. You could do a little bit more than you could with a traditional video game only console. Apple felt like people wanted more than just a video game only console. Apple was wrong, but they certainly thought that they could get away with pricing it at $600, which we've talked about. However, the original PlayStation, which came out in 1994, which was two years before the Pippin came out, was priced at $300. And the N64, which released in the same year as the Pippin, was priced for $200. So let's put this to the modern day. Adjusted for inflation, the PlayStation would be priced around $530, and the N64 for about $335. The Apple Pippin, however, would be priced at $1,000. So if you were a family, say you're a family of four, and buying a PlayStation or an N64 was a reach, especially around maybe a Christmas time purchase, you'll buy one, and that would be the big gift. Are you really going to spend another $600 to get a Pippin? Doubtful. Especially with no marketing. Why Why would you buy a Pippin? There was no marketing. So 
buying a Pippin was probably a bit beyond the normal consumer. So assuming that every Pippin sold for MSRP, with 42,000 units sold, that's about 25 million bucks. That probably doesn't even pay for the cost of creation. Now, in something that you said that I think really struck home to me is just the whole idea that the, the average cons- the average consumer. If you were an average consumer in the 1990s and you wanted a device that could play video games and go online, you probably would have bought a computer. <laughs> probably even a Windows-based computer, which, mind you, played more video games than any Macintosh computer did at the time. I mean, that was the big problem with Mac in the 90s. There were no games on Mac except for Marathon. If you wanted something that played video games specifically, you probably bought a video game system because you probably already owned a computer or you didn't own a computer. Computers were too expensive, so you bought a video game system. There's just like, where's the market for the Pippin? This is the 90s. People weren't used to the concept of multiple devices accessing the internet from one household because internet didn't work the way it does now. You had to plug it into the wall and you had to turn off your phones while you used it. <laughs> like That's right. It was, this is the dial-up era. You had to log into American Online to be able to get... So, like, why are you going to use an inferior product to access the internet when you could just have a computer, which you more than likely had? It could be a workstation. So, like, maybe the computer was more of an adult purchase and was used by the the parents or whatever, the grown-ups in the house, and it was used for other things, such as work, bills, or, you know, accessing the internet and checking emails and various things that you do on a computer and could also play video games better than the Pippin. It's like, and just to me, I'm thinking about it and I'm, it just keeps coming back to my mind. I'm thinking about the Philips CDI because this reminds me so much of the CDI. Yes. The CDI, I feel, had a point to it. I mean, it wasn't a good point. The CDI, you know, could reasonably exist as a decent quality CD system so you can listen to music, right. also play video games that weren't very good. You could listen to music on the Pippin. Right, but it wasn't necessarily being sold or designed as a multi, as a like CD. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't sold as anything. <laughs> right, yeah, because it wasn't marketed. I, I think at least the, at least the Philips CDI kind of looked like your VCR player. Yeah, this thing, <laughs> like, this thing looks, first of all, this thing does not look appealing to a 90s consumer most likely because the the people it's going to appeal to are people that are going to be playing video games they're not going to spend a thousand dollars on a video game system that doesn't have any video games Uh, anyway it's just like i i just like i'm thinking of the market that existed in that time and i just can't see how the pippin fits in a market like this it doesn't it's that's That's why it didn't sell exactly i mean it's evident why uh, where it fits the trash if you wanted to buy an app and pippin today however they are expensive because they are very few and far between so the rarity of an apple pippin is going to cost you um based on our some of our research on websites such as ebay buy it nows for apple pippins run between 800 and a thousand dollars for an app mark and it's generally going to be out of the domestic us for purchasing it so it's going to be something from uh japan or europe and but it's not region locked so it doesn't matter and it'll work on your pal and ntsc crt tvs and, and pippin games are also so even if you're lucky and maybe you stumble across a pippin at a flea market or a thrift store for a reasonable price the games are expensive too i'm looking at some games for the pippin and the tamagotchi game on the pippin costs 170 dollars there's a the controller for the pippin alone goes for 234 dollars i mean it, it can go up it to price. These are eBay prices. But yeah, you're, you're not going to be spending... Don't expect to 
don't expect to get a Pippin for cheap. Yeah, and then if you get it, you won't have the operating system, so it doesn't matter anyway. I mean, you can... Well, that's the Pippin. So, that's the Pippin. That One of the, the worst-selling game consoles ever. Not the worst-selling game console. No. Don't worry. The classic gaming brothers are always on the case for i wouldn't say what is uh subpar i guess yeah we, we strive ourselves to find the worst of the worst that's right because we just I, we we like uncovering uh disasters uh, so if you enjoy our talks about horrible selling consoles we have more planned don't worry we there are a lot of horribly selling consoles and we'll we'll bring additional episodes to you though um, let us know you can always send us an email if you want to hear about a specific console uh we've uh pushed up stuff up in our schedule before for uh some fans who've written in wanting to hear more about the virtual boy or or something like that earlier than what we had planned so if there's a console that we haven't discussed or talked about we're making our way to uh game boy we we always generally do uh sega stuff before we do Nintendo Walking stuff. Walking fast, but... bases passed, and we're homebound. Badoo, 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 badoo. I know. I'm just whenever you say making your way, I just think about going to choose. <laughs> making your way to the world today with everything you got. All right. Anyway, that's going to be our Apple Pippin section, and now we will move on to our Bawapa, our buy wait pass, where we are excited about talking about games we're wanting to. Buy, wait, or pass on? Uh, I'll go first. Zach, yeah, sure. So, Seth, the game I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on is a game called Little Kitty Big City. That sounds like a fun name. It is, it is a fun name. Uh, so Little Little Kitty Big City is being developed and published by a company called Double Dagger Studio. Let me just read the plot of the game, Seth, because this game looks very cute. Be a curious little kitty, trying your best as you explore the big city. Discover unfamiliar places, meet interesting characters as you knock things off of high places, and nap in the most interesting of places. Will you steal the fish? Yes, because you do what you want. Um, So Little Kitty Big City looks to be an open world exploration game where you play as a tiny little black cat exploring the big city and uh, encountering friends and knocking things over and causing chaos and being a cat because that's what cats do it looks like a cute little funny game i i i think games like this are kind of cool because they're just designed to i think be relaxing and be chill and be fun and be cute and i'm into it i'm into it uh currently it doesn't have a release date so the release date listed is cats don't have deadlines uh so which is true cats do not have deadlines i'll keep an eye on it i'm gonna wish list it i'll put probably put it down as a i'll put it down as a buy i like cute games i want to try this game uh, i'm up to uh, play as a cat and explore so yeah it's a buy for me great i am excited to talk about it takes two it is a cooperative game where you play as divorced parents so yes in fact you do so you play as uh well there is a these two parents they are telling their child that they are going to be divorced and the child is upset and turns them in little into little dolls like little voodoo dolls type situation i'm describing this game very poorly i'm watching the trailer for it and this is exactly what it looks like so and then you have to play as this little doll with your friend to work together to solve challenges and puzzles and uh, there's like in the screenshot they're like playing like an atari situation type game with a controller and i am i imagine it could be a lot of fun it, it kind of reminds me of 
of like a fun a way out well i mean a way out is fun but a way out is serious and this looks like a little a little less serious apart from a the little more matter. this looks a little more fun yeah apart from the subject matter we're playing is divorced parents but maybe they i guess get together or at the end decide that truly no even as we spent multiple hours stuck as dolls, we're still getting divorced. But yeah, I, I think I would, I'd like to eventually pick this game up. It's scoring very well. It's overwhelmingly positive reviews. It came out just on March 26th, so it is available. It was published by Electronic Arts, but is available on Steam as well as, I'm sure, Origin. And it was developed by a company called Hazelight. And it looks very much like Unraveled that is also done by Electronic Arts, so it makes... Well, published by Electronic Arts, which is makes sense. Uh, it also it kind of has the say, like the f- the perspective of being very small in a very big world, which I I kind of like that type of uh, motif, kind of like grounded by Obsidian, where you play as a, a, a shrunk down. In this case, you're like a shrunk down doll, but like a shrunk down human. So like everything is big. So like the Atari controller is like the same size as you. So like. Um, I'm sure pushing it, like, I'm sure the physics is all, you know, like, weird. There's, like, them, they race frogs in it. It's it's cool. So I'm going to put this down as a wait because it just came out. And I got a lot of other games on my to-do list right now. But I think this would be a fun game to play on stream. So it's a friend pass system, which Electronic Arts has, like, with a way out, where one person owns the copy of the game and the other person gets to play the entirety of the game using the, as long as you play cooperatively with your friend so we'll probably do something like that on stream but right now it's going to be a wait but maybe in a few months uh zach and i will be playing this game because it'll probably also come across stream well because of uh the split screen Mm, yeah i think so so there's a few things that you should know about us those things should be how to contact us how to listen to us and how to support us so if you want to contact us you can always send us an email at classicgamingbrothers.com at gmail.com. If you want to be fun, you can always send it at Seth at Classic Gaming Brothers, Zach, which is spelled with an H, at Classic Gaming Brothers, or Classic Gaming Brothers at Classic Gaming Brothers. So any of those, they all go to the same email box. We'll uh, respond in kind. Uh, Generally, I'll respond to the emails. Zach will read them. But if you want to send something to Zach, then you could also just say Zach should read this, but he'll probably read it eventually. Anyway, we'll get back to you as a group and send us feedback. The feedback could range for all sorts of things. It could be positive feedback. It could be negative feedback. I think all feedback is good regardless. So if you tell us that you like the episodes, if you want to see more content of something specific, if you really don't like something that we do, think we should expand on something further, uh, let us know. Uh, we, we try to keep our episodes... If you're new and you're listening to this as your first episode, welcome to the end of the podcast. This is where we we do a lot of glad handing, just as an FYI. If you are new and you or you're listening to later episodes and you're unsure what's going on with this podcast, we generally run shorter podcasts, about 45 minutes. Could be a little shorter, could be a little longer. Um, but we are were originally designed to be a commuter podcast. So if you're commuting into work, hello, welcome back. If if you're still it, if this is still during covid or if you're still if or if you're working from home and you listen to us elsewhere great if you like longer form podcasts let us know if you like to for us to go on a bit longer if you, if you like shorter then let us know well, either or we we try to we try to just cater to whatever people want to listen to we're we're here to be that thing to listen to now you can how to support us well listener if you're listening to these words 
You already are doing it. Look at that. Congratulations, you're already supporting us. By listening to these episodes, you're bringing joy to Zach and I's hearts. We love people listening to this show. We we appreciate, we really do. From the bottom of our hearts, we really appreciate it. Uh, Zach and I decided to do this a little bit more than a year ago. And we've been doing it weekly ever since. And the thing that makes us to go on and do more episodes beyond our desire to be completely pedantic is that we know that people are listening to us. And we appreciate that. And so that's pretty much one of the best ways to support us. If you feel so inclined and would like to, you can go and give us a rating on whatever podcasting app, listening device that you listen to if it's stitcher itunes pandora wherever wherever you're listening to us there should be a rate this podcast give it a thumbs up give it a five stars what however you'd like to give us a whatever rating you feel like we deserve at the end of the day ratings do help the podcast so if you're like i really wish i could support the classic gaming brothers give us a rating write up us a review that's more than enough than any anything else. Uh, at the end of the day, Zach and I will continue to produce content for your listening ears, and we won't put it behind any sort of paywall or anything. Uh, we we are kind of dedicated to this as a hobby, and as it being a hobby, we it's know that we spend money on this so we don't we're not and we're not out to recoup money this isn't our job at the end of the day so that's uh some ways that you could support us i mean there we also do have a a merchandise store on our website uh we also which our website is classic gaming brothers at uh just i was gonna say at gmail.com our website is classic gaming brothers.com if you want you can always buy merch if you really want merch it is in desperate need of a refresh and we will get there finally you could listen to us how you can listen to us well you're already doing it i think i put this at the end of what i originally stated and it's kind of silly at the end sometimes but anyway you can listen to us through any application that you so desire you can listen to us through apple i itunes google play podcasts uh, Stitcher, we're, we're on most podcast listening applications, so feel free to search for us, Classic Gaming Brothers. You can also listen to us on Twitch. We have a Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers, where we try to play video games semi-regularly-ish and um, try to get on at least once every couple of weeks or so to play some games. We we always have a blast on there. You can watch us play games very poorly, and we will talk to you. And you'll get to see our smiling faces, which, as our mother always says, we have faces born for radio. Finally, you can check us out on our social medias. We have a Facebook, an Instagram, and a Twitter. Uh, our Facebook is Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Instagram is at Classic Gaming Brothers. And our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. We generally will tweet out, message out when our episodes launch. And we, we don't do much else beyond that. Uh, so we're a pretty cool quiet chill place to if you want just episode announcements you can you can like us and we'll 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 feed you up an episode announcement when they come through and with that is there anything else zach don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's That's right right